Hi, I'm Pastor James, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church in Hillsborough, Oregon. Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. Our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so each weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please visit our website at www.isunrise.com, I-S-O-N-R-I-S-E.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you, grow along the journey of life with others, develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost, and then learn how to lead other people to know Jesus Christ. Now, on to our weekend message. So we have a great opportunity to serve the church in Cuba. And one of the things that is a reality for the believers in Cuba is that they are discriminated people. They have regular routine uh, walls put up around them uh, to what they can and can't do. You know, it seems a little strange when you think about it, because if you read the Bible and you live out what the Bible says, the Bible says in this context that we would respect our government leaders. That's what the Bible says. It's a good thing. We would honor our leaders. We would even pray for our leaders. We would submit to our leaders. We would contribute to society and the greater good. Now, what's not to like about that, right? That would, if everybody could do that. And if everybody did that in Cuba or in the country that we live in, things would be better, right? But the problem is because they won't bow down to a secular communist state, they are seen as an enemy to the state. And so they live with the clear understanding that the world that they live in is not their real home. Now, that's what the Bible tells us. It's very clear the Bible says this. Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 17. He says this, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Paul writes to the believers in Philippi. Philippi was an outpost, a, a Greek outpost, way out in the area that he had visited, church planted, writing to them. They were Greek citizens. All around them was the Greek world. The Roman world was a part of the system. They were proud to be known as citizens of Rome. And Paul reminds them, first and foremost, you're not citizens of Rome. You're citizens of heaven. Jesus Christ himself bought you with a price. You now have a new citizenship. Uh, this is an important uh, document right here. This is my passport. I don't usually take it out. I don't usually carry it unless I'm on a trip because this allows me to leave the country. More importantly, it allows me to come back into my country. And I hear those amazing words, welcome home. It just moves my heart every time. But this passport is an indicator of the nation I belong to here on the planet. I was born here. I have citizenship. I have a birth certificate. I have those things because I'm an American citizen. I was born in a Midwest town, Frankfort, Indiana. Grew up in a, a you know, a, a Western culture and, you know, California. Came to Oregon for college. This is my home. This is my culture. This is my identity. But the Bible says, let's never, ever forget that when we become followers of Jesus... When we receive this message of Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are transformed. Internally, we have God's spirit living inside of us. We're brand new creations in Christ. And we have a new passport. We have a new citizenship. And even though we live in this world, we actually are from another world. 
We are aliens and strangers on this earth. You read in Hebrews where it says about these men and women of old of faith that they were looking forward to a country that was not their own. They knew that all their travels on this earth, they were not home and they were longing for their heavenly citizenship. And they walk in two worlds in Cuba. Which we do too, but I don't know that we regularly think about that. They walk and they're Cuban citizens. They love their country. They, they love aspects about it. They, they don't like aspects about it. The system, the government system, the propaganda, the things, but they're free within a certain parameter to do the Jesus thing, but they're not allowed to go outside of that. And so they live within the restriction and they, of all the people I've ever met, they are the ones that know what it's like to long to be home because they're not home. But that should be how we experience life, right? As followers of Jesus here in the United States, in Washington County, here in Hillsboro, we live here, but we don't really belong here. We belong in another place. We belong with Jesus in heaven, but we're just not there yet. And we're waiting for the day we're transferred to be with him. But we have a passport that was bought and paid for by Jesus himself. We have a new citizenship. And the question is, are we eagerly longing for that and waiting for that? Have we forgotten our true nationality? And to live within two worlds is a tension. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but we just ended a political season. Um, Which, you know what? We were gone for 10 days and not much contact. They had Wi-Fi parks, which is the new thing in the last year. I don't know whatever the Obama administration did at that point, but there were some radical changes in the last year with communication and things. And so we were able to catch Wi-Fi. It was cool because we knew it was a Wi-Fi park if we would walk into or drive around and people were sitting at a park looking at each other. That's not one. That's not one. But as soon as we'd drive by and see people like this, we'd go, oh, that's a Wi-Fi park. Let's just stop. American technology ruining the world, you know, one step at a time. And, and so we end up in this place where we're checking some things out, but you guys had a blast the 10 days we were gone. The president did things, you know, judges did things. You guys had fun without us. And so we're trying to figure this out and we're in a situation where we're citizens uh, of, of America. Nelson's a citizen of Canada, going to be an American citizen. And, and here we are in another place. So we recognize what it was like to live between two worlds. We're traveling, we're enjoying, we're meeting people, but we're not home yet. Uh, I, I saw it in the political scene. I saw it on Facebook. I saw believers in Jesus Christ. Seemingly, and this is, this is my perspective, seemingly more passionate about preaching about politics than about preaching about Jesus. Making statements about political parties and candidates than making disciples. And I think all the energy we spend toward the things of this earth detract us, distract us from the energy we could be spending on our heavenly kingdom. But it's tough because how do we wake up every day and go, let me check my passport. I'm a citizen of heaven. How do we live between two worlds? What would it mean for us To actually acknowledge on a regular basis with how we live our lives. I mean, you think about it. There is a world system. There is a government system in Cuba and that system discriminates against Christianity. There is a world system that we live in. And all we have to do is open our eyes to see that it discriminates against Christianity. It's not passionate about the Christian message. It'll tolerate it as long as you still buy into the system and participate in the system. But the moment you take a stand against that system, it stands against us. 
And you can see this. Our eyes are open. Uh, you can see it in the things we watch on television or in the movies, the things we listen to with music, uh, the advertisers, the things we read with books and magazines, the things we participate in. All the activities of this world are preaching a message. The question is, are we okay living in this world, hearing this message, but rejecting the premise that this is our home? And living in the tension. You know, there's an old statement when I, I became a believer of Christ a hundred years ago. It was, it was this, that you could be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. And I've run into Christians that are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. I've run into churches that are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. We want to be earthly good. But we don't want to be so earthly good and earthly minded that we're no heavenly good. That all of a sudden, all of our focus is on the earth. This world is not our home. We're just passing through, Right. Now, I think this is the conversation and this is the tension that the Jewish people experienced at the time of Jesus. They were citizens of Israel, but they were occupied by Rome. They had their land and it was their dirt, but they didn't have the title to the dirt. They could worship with freedom. They could go to their synagogues, temple, we'll call it church in our culture, but they couldn't make ultimate decisions. And they lived in that tension. And it just so happened that that was one of the tension points of all the groups of Israel and one of the tension points that came up in the conversations of Jesus the last week of his life. Now think about this. We're, we're on Tuesday and you're thinking, I'm pretty sure it's Sunday. I'm in church. (laughs) No, in the story of Jesus, it's Tuesday. Okay. What do we mean? Well, this is the last week of the life of Jesus. Believe it or not, we finally got into the last week. It's took, it's taken a year and a half, right? And we've gotten to the last week. Jesus comes in on Palm Sunday. He rides in on this donkey and everybody celebrates and they throw the branches down and they throw their coats down and they all shout Hosanna to the son of David. They're excited about it. He comes into the city. Bible says every night that week, he goes back to the Mount of olives onto the garden of Gethsemane and he sleeps there with his disciples comes back in on Monday Monday he clears the temple the temple was desecrated because the Sadducees the rulers of that temple they had brought in money changers into the temple and the livestock all necessary for worship but they took it from the outside brought it inside and pushed those that were outsiders out And so Jesus cleans it up, grabs a whip, it's angry Jesus, and he goes to town on this, and it's a beautiful thing. Well, the religious leaders are just upset. They're just in a fury over this, okay? And so then on Wednesday or Tuesday, they encounter and debate each other. And so we've seen it for weeks, stories Jesus had told. The Pharisees have come. Pastor Taylor last week talked about this, how there was this one more story Jesus told about a feast. And so now we get to this point where another group of people begin to confront Jesus. So that's where we're at. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 22. We'll start in verse 15. In your chair Bible, which is right there, we'd encourage you to grab one if you don't have a Bible, page 752. And you could open up there. And we're going to Take a look at the next story in the life of Jesus. Now, as you're turning there, I'll tell you about the rest of the week. Uh, We're going to spend a lot of days, weeks on Tuesday. We finally get to Wednesday, Thursday, the upper room time. And then Friday, where Jesus is uh, Thursday night arrested. And Friday, he's taken to trial, crucified in the grave on Saturday. And Sunday, uh, he's resurrected. We'll get there on Easter. So that's where we're at. Okay. So this is what we see. So if we jump into this part of the story, it's the Pharisees. But the Pharisees have already scuffled with Jesus on these conversations, but they got another group of people to join with them. It's pretty fascinating. The Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. They had already tried to catch him up, trip him up uh, theologically. 
uh, they've spent many, many stories, many encounters, many questions to get him to uh, say something wrong about Torah, about God's word, about God, to blaspheme, to make statements. And he can't do that because he's God and they're frustrated. So they thought if we can't trip him up theologically, Let's trip him up politically. And that's going to be even better because all of a sudden, if Jesus says the wrong things, we can go report him to Rome and Rome will take care of him, maybe kill him. We don't know what will happen, but let's get him on a political issue. So that's where we're at here. So they sent some of their disciples. The Pharisees had disciples along with the supporters of Herod to meet with him. Now, the supporters of Herod, that's an interesting phrase. Uh, Other translations might call it the Herodians. That was their name. The Herodians were a secular group of Jews. Now, there were a lot of Religious Jews. There were four Jewish groups, but there was a secular Jewish group. This group had long given up on religious life, long given up on study of Torah, going to synagogue, going to temple, making sacrifices. They were done with that. They just rejected their religious belief and they hung out with Herod. Who's Herod? Herod is the local ruler of the area. There's the Caesar, the emperor in Rome, who is the ultimate ruler, and he assigns leadership to varying people in the varying lands to control and to send tax money back. Herod is that guy. And so they loved Herod because Herod had style. Herod was the, just the essence of Rome and culture. Herod and the whole reality of the Greek Roman culture was the cutting edge on arts. It was the cutting edge on music. It was the cutting edge in theater. It was the cutting edge of sports. It was all the things that the people looked at and said, I want to immerse myself in the culture because this is the newest, greatest thing. So they threw off God and they got a new God, which was Herod. So that was their heart. So they gathered together with the Pharisees, which I think is kind of funny because the Pharisees despise the Herodians, the Herodians despise the Pharisees, but an enemy of an enemy is a friend, right? And so, you know, nothing unites people like a common enemy, and Jesus is a common enemy. So here we go. They sent some of their disciples, they go to meet with Jesus, this is what they say, I love this, this is like classic, you know, kissing up to somebody, look at this, this is schmoozing at its ultimate. Teacher, they said, first of all, they call him a rabbi, that's a respect term. They had no respect for Jesus. They're lying through their teeth here. We know how honest you are. Come on. They don't think Jesus is honest. He's a deceiver. He's a false Messiah in their eyes. You teach the way of God truthfully. They don't think that. They've already said he's a blasphemer. They already said he's distorting the scripture. He's faking his way through. You're impartial and don't play favorites. Come on. They think he plays favorites because he won't hang out with the Pharisees, the religious people. He hangs out with the least, the last, and the lost, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, and the sinners. That's who Jesus parties with, hangs out with, eats with. That's who he fellowships with, the Samaritans. He, he hangs out with those people because they're ready to receive the message of God. And these people, these religious leaders had long ago decided that Jesus is either a demon, he's possessed by a demon, or he's coming from the prince of demons, but he's not the son of God. How dare he say blasphemous things? But they come with flattery on their lips in front of everybody and they make these statements so that they could look good. Now, here we go. We have a question for you. Now, tell us what you think about this. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? That's a good question. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But that's really not the question. And I've read this passage for years, and this is the first time I studied it this way, to look at some words. And I was fascinated to discover that the word that all modern translations use for the word tax is not the literal word that was used. In fact, lo and behold, thank you, King James 1611, King James uses the correct word. It's a specific tax. It is a tax, an umbrella term, but it's a tribute tax. 
and I know probably none of you have a King James, but if you open it, it'll say, is it right to pay tribute to Caesar? See, tribute was a specific tax. It was what we would call a poll tax. Every year, a male, 18 years and older, every male in the country would go pay this tax to register as a citizen of Rome. Now that infuriated the Jews. It wasn't an expensive tax at all. It wasn't minuscule, but it represented something. It represented that as a Jew, you were submitting yourself to Caesar, that you were a citizen of the Roman empire. And that just was absolutely frustrating to every Jew. If you read the story, you read when Jesus is born, there's this census that goes on. Same kind of thing. Go and show up, pay your tax, identify yourself as a Roman citizen. Uh, There were Jewish revolts that came because of taxes like this. But that's not normal taxes. It's not like a property tax. It's not like an income tax. This is identification tax. This is when you would show up and you would say, yes, I'm a Roman citizen. Here's my money. I need the proof of that. Now, later on, the church explodes. The book of Acts, Paul's writings and on. And we see the church go out into all the world. And what's fascinating is that when it goes to actual Greek areas, Roman areas, when it goes to those cities, it was even more significant of an issue. Because you would, if you were a citizen of a city, you would walk into the city underneath a gate. And as you walked under the gate, there had been a statement, like in Heriopolis, there was a statement that declared by walking under this gate, you're acknowledging Caesar as Lord. Well, now you're a follower of Christ. How can you walk under that gate? And we're thinking, what a dumb thing. Just walk through the gate and don't believe it, right? But no, you're identifying yourself as first and foremost a worshiper of Caesar. And Caesar was fine with that. Worship hundreds of other gods. Jesus is cool, but I'm first. And so Christians would have to walk around the gate, which immediately identified them and they were discriminated against and they were persecuted to the point of death. And later on, and and, and this is an even more significant one, in order to buy and sell, you would go to the marketplace and you would burn incense. You would buy some incense and you would burn it as a tribute, as an offering to Caesar as God. And then you could buy and sell and you get a stamp that said, you're now free to buy and sell. Christians couldn't do that. So what do you do? You go hungry. You don't have a business anymore. You can't buy and sell. So, but at the Roman empire time in Israel, it's not that significant, but it is a tax. And so the question is, is it right to acknowledge the superiority of Caesar? That's a good question. This really trips people up. Think about this. There are Christians. There are actually Christian groups that say we should never pay any taxes. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible is very clear. Romans 13. Read it. Submit to your governing authorities. Peter says, pray for the king. Um, you know, we're supposed to be a part because this system that's around us, it, it, it's not necessarily a bad system. We participate in it. We pay into those things. We get that. But the real question is, where does your allegiance lie first and foremost? Now, the Pharisees would love Jesus to say, um, don't pay the tax. You know why? Because they didn't want to pay the tax, but then they could still trip him up and report him to the Roman authorities. Now the Herodians would love for Jesus to say, oh, absolutely pay the tax because then they would get more money and it would trip Jesus up in the eyes of all the crowds. So he's more like us, a Herodian. He's not really religious. Now, the different groups had different opinions on this. Take a look at this slide. This is the varying groups. There's a secular group, the Herodians. Uh, This group, they say, sure, pay the tribute. Some of it comes to us anyway. Awesome. But these are the religious groups. The Sadducees, the leaders of the temple in Jerusalem. Absolutely. Don't you know how we profit from Rome? They were sleeping with the enemy. 
And they got a lot of money and power from this. The Pharisees, yeah, pay it, but grind your teeth as you pay it. Spit on that coin. You know, rub it in manure before you hand it to them. You know what I mean? Uh, The Essene would say, just leave. Just move out in the desert and you won't even have to acknowledge Rome anymore. The Essenes were the ones, uh, we believe, that had this settlement in Qumran where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, which is kind of awesome. Cave 12, there, it was only 11 caves. Now there's another cave. And so there are more Dead Sea Scrolls being found. The zealot would say anyone who offers tribute deserves to die. A zealot was a subset of the Pharisees, very religious, but they were the religious terrorists of the day. And they would carry their swords and they would kill anyone that did not have ultimate allegiance to God and God alone, which is fascinating when Jesus has a tax collector, a Jewish Roman collaborator, and a zealot in his small group. You know, that's like a wonderful small group problem to have. They'd be coming to you all the time. I got this fight going on. I got a Democrat and a Republican, and they're always arguing, and they're coming to fists and blows. It's like, it's a good conversation, right? So what would be the answer? Well, Jesus is a masterful teacher. And so this is what he answers. But Jesus knew their evil motives. You hypocrites. Now they're hypocrites because they don't really believe the things they just said. They're liars. He says, why are you trying to trap me here? Show me the coin used for the tax, which is fascinating because then they hand him the Roman coin. Little note here. They're in the temple. You are not religiously, legally, as a Jewish perspective, allowed to bring secular money into the temple. It was just temple money. And they got some of that filthy money in their pocket hiding there. So they're hypocrites. Okay. Show me some of the money. Roman coin. He says, so whose picture and whose title are stamped? In other words, whose image is on it? Because every Roman coin had an image of Caesar. Okay, an image of Caesar as God. And on the back, it had an inscription, a title, and it said a worshipped son of a worshipped God. So you held in your hand, you put in your pockets money that acknowledged Caesar as God. So show me one of the coins. Whose picture, title, whose image and inscription are on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well, then he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. His reply amazed him and they went away. His reply doesn't amaze me. His reply, his reply confuses me. How does that answer the question? Well, it's because we need King James again. Shockingly, we need King James again. Because it's not really the word give. I can give you something. I don't have to give you something. It's the word render. That's not commonly used in our culture anymore. But to render has a literal meaning of an obligation to pay back. To render something. You owe something and you must pay this back. You render. So now, here's the coin right here. And so this is Caesar. Good looking guy. Nice big nose like me. And um, that's Caesar. And um, on the back it says a worshipped son of a worshipped God. They literally thought he was deity. He was part divine. and, And there was all kinds of weird emperor worship going on so he's this godlike figure and that's what the money represents but this is what it actually says best we can translate it render to caesar what belongs to caesar and render to god what belongs to god now let's think about that pay back caesar what you owe him see this is this is the reality of the situation And the Bible affirms this. Jesus affirms this. We have a government system. We have a political system. We have structures. We have people that are employees. And they work for us. You might not think that, okay? But they work for us. Um, They pay for things like roads. 
Okay, if anybody works in transportation, the Minter Bridge has these serious potholes right now. And it's like tearing my car up, you know? It's like jolting, right? So you could render some of that back. Um, uh, but, but government employees, they, they work for the system. They work for parks, they work for recreation, they work for the police, they work for the sheriff's department. All these people do their jobs so we can have life. Do you want clean water? We got to have clean water services, right? You may not like some of their decisions about your property and your wetlands, but the reality is they have a job to do. And we should show respect to those people, but more than this, and this is what Jesus is saying, we have an obligation to them. We owe them something. We do. Not just respect, but we owe them money. Okay? We are obligated to pay them for the work that they do. Now, later in Romans 13, Paul says, even more than that, that they're working for God. Okay? Imagine that. What what if we, seriously, as believers, what if we just parked underneath uh, the civic center and just, you know, prayed? Just prayed for everybody in those, those rooms and those levels up above. What if we walked around in Washington County and just prayed that God would be honored in the people that he says are working for him? Okay? So render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And so we, as citizens of this earth, have an obligation to participate in this system. And Jesus doesn't have a problem with that because it takes money to do what we do. Teachers need to be paid. Let's pay them more, right? Can I get an amen? Um, we, we should get a lot more amens than that. Okay. Um, people need to defend us. We need a military. You know, we need, we need arts. We need culture. We need parks. We need trails. We need all kinds of things that make our life as citizens a beautiful place. All right. But that takes money and that money comes from us. And that's how it works. And Jesus says, that's our obligation. So render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and render to God what belongs to God. Now that's the question. What does that mean? We have an obligation to God. We have a debt to God. The Bible says that blood has been spilled on our account. A death has been made on our account. A payment has been made so that we could enter into this new citizenship That you and I have been purchased out of the slave market of sin. That's the word redemption. God called us and got us, purchased, bought us out from slavery to sin. And he called us his sons and daughters. And he bought us with a price, a high price, Jesus himself. And so now we have an obligation to pay God back. Now, I'm not talking about earning this salvation I'm talking about respecting this salvation and responding to this salvation and reciprocating in a way that we now devote our lives back to God. And he has first allegiance for us. So here's kind of my nomenclature on this. Basically this, give Caesar his stupid coin, but don't ever give Caesar your worship. Okay? That translates. That matters today. Because, again, you and I live in two worlds. And I hope we think about it. I hope we consider it. So we're in uh, Cuba and we're at the end of our trip. And 
we drunk way too much Cuban coffee and cause it's super cheap, but it's super good. And we ended up all with sickness because they didn't clean the cups out or they washed them with bad water. Anyway, we're all sick. We're in this hotel and we're like, we should be in Havana, but we're all sick. And, um, my friend Tim down in Salem says, I'm going to go to the room, uh, his room with his buddy. Uh, we're going to watch the Super Bowl. We're all laughing, you know, the Super Bowl is interesting. I'm down at the Wi-Fi park, Super Bowl's going on and I've got an hour on my card and I'm logging in there and I'm checking it and it's, it's, it's 28, 28, it's 57 seconds and my time goes and I'm out. I'm done. I'm like, what? My internet runs out. My card runs out. I can't buy any more cards. What's going on? This is ridiculous. This is like a nail biter. It takes a whole day to find out. And so we're like, wow, it'd be cool to see that. So Tim's joking. We're not going to watch the Super Bowl for crying out loud. We're in Cuba. The only thing in Cuba is like baseball nonstop and uh, on TV. And so, you know, we go to our room and, and uh, David and Nelson, and I go to the room and we're clicking on the TV and it's Spanish and Spanish and Spanish and Spanish and Spanish and Spanish and Telemundo, Telemundo and Spanish. And, and then I saw it says CNN. Oh, CNN. Let's see what's going on. And uh, watch a little news and click ESPN, ESPN. There's ESPN. The score is zero, zero. Like the Super Bowl's on. We get to watch the Super Bowl. I run over to Tim's room. I knock, pound on the door, bust my way, and I go, the Super Bowl's on. He goes, no, you're just kidding. I said, no, no, it's on. Check ESPN. There's ESPN. Yeah. Guess what? It was the best Super Bowl I've ever seen. It was in Spanish. (laughs) That's awesome. And more importantly, it took one hour. Because they just showed the highlights. We're like, I'll watch that. I didn't get to see any commercials, but I'll watch that. Now... Opinions aside about the Patriots um, and the Falcons. You know how much money we put on that game? You know how much passion and effort and energy? Uh, the World Series? Oh, I like baseball. NBA Finals? I love basketball. You know? I like football. But we go to stadiums and we pay hundreds, well in that case thousands of dollars to go watch these people do this. We dress up. We buy shirts. We have emblems. You know, we go to games. I'm a Raider fan and you go and you see these people and they're, they're not just weird. They're like scary. Okay. They are frightening and they've got all this stuff and there's silver painted all over and black and stuff like this. I would just love to see people come to church like that. None of us have ever painted our face two colors to show up at church and come up on the front and scream and shout that we're worshiping God, right? We're like... Great are you, Lord. It's your breath in my lungs. It's like, really? I think we render to Caesar far more than we should render to Caesar. I mean, we shop, we spend money, we do activities. Again, I'm not, it's all good stuff, it's fine stuff. And we participate in the system, but are we rendering to Caesar what we should be rendering to God is the question. Are we giving Caesar too much? Because there is still an empire out there. And the Bible says it is still led by an enemy, as in Satan himself. And this world system is fighting against us as followers of Christ. In fact, we have three enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And the world is the system. Okay? The world is the system. That has its bent on deceiving and manipulating and confusing and destroying people. Render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Pay back what you owe Caesar. But never give Caesar your worship. What would that look like for you and for me? As we walk between two worlds. To acknowledge tomorrow morning you get up, you go to work, you go to school, go to the gym, you go to the library, whatever you do. You go to the mall and go, I just want to never ever forget 
that first and foremost, I'm a citizen of heaven. So how should I spend my time? How should I spend my passion, my money, my efforts, my energies? Again, not to be so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. But I think we probably fall too much on the other end. We're so earthly minded, we're no heavenly good. Paul, it's kind of cool. He says this twice in the book of Philippians. They might have needed it a lot. He says in chapter 3, verse 20, again, but we're citizens of heaven. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. Is that the cry of your heart? Longing for Jesus to come back. And Paul says, who will take our lowly bodies and transform them to be like his heavenly body. Is that our hope? Is that our longing? Are we just kind of biding time participating in the world system more than we should? You know, the Bible very clearly says that when we are born in the natural state, in the natural world, we have a citizenship of the earth. Everybody does. But when we are reborn in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ alone, we get a new citizenship. We get a new passport. We get a new identity card. And that was 100% paid for by Jesus himself. And so one question for you today Have you exchanged passports? Have you gotten a new citizenship? Have you received the message of Jesus? Um, Or is your whole life rendering to Caesar? Another question would be for the bulk of us in the room, I believe, who have received the new citizenship. Are we living like it? Is there any way that people know? Is Is there any action identification to where people know we're in this world, but we're not of this world? We're not like freaks, okay? Um, But we live, we move, we're neighbors, we're co-workers, and we do good for this community we live in and this world we live in. And they go, that is someone who renders to Caesar in a way that brings honor to that. But more than that, I see them rendering to God. And that's what sets them apart. So what does it look like for you as you walk between two worlds this week? Go out and do the best you can do to render to Caesar. We have a debt to fulfill. That's great. No problem. Uh, But never forget that God alone deserves, demands, desires our worship of him. Let's render to God what belongs to God. Let's pray. So, Father God, I just want to thank you for the words of Jesus. And, you know, it's kind of cool that. 2,000 years ago, some people who were hating Jesus tried to trip him up and the words were written down and now we're blessed because of it. We're challenged because of it. And it's something that applies to us right now. God, help us to render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and, and do what that is and the necessary parts of being a part of the world that we live in. And we're so thankful for this Washington County, Hillsborough community. We're blessed. We're prosperous. We pray for its prosperity. We pray for its peace, as Jeremiah tells the exiles. Um, But we know we're bound for a heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. And we have that passport. We have that stamp. So may we and may you teach us how to render to you what belongs to you in the very practical and the very profound ways we pray in your name. Amen.